I'll never forget when my wife and I had our first child. After a pretty rugged delivery, we were finally at home. Our families had all left, the dust had settled, and it was just the three of us for the very first time. Robin and I sat down at our our small kitchen table and we had dinner. We were having these amazing, I'll never forget it, we had these amazing hot turkey sandwiches that night. At one point, Robin gets up and she makes herself another sandwich. And she came and she sat down, at which point I said, <laughs> and I quote, you're, you're having another sandwich. By which I meant, you're having another sandwich. <laughs> I can guarantee you that's not what she heard. Welcome to episode 51, Unstuck. Welcome to the Sandbox. Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. And thank you so much for joining us in the Sandbox. It is good to be back and continuing uh, this series of stories and conversations. We're looking forward to it. Yeah, you know, it's it was so much fun hearing uh, Paul Schroeder last week. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and we're actually learning... Continuing to learn from him, we'll talk about him in a little bit uh, as this episode continues. Yeah, um, but for now, as we uh, as we continue, uh, we just want to remind you: uh, invite people, invite people, invite people. Just share this podcast with somebody who you think it might be helpful for. Uh, we really just want to continue to to grow uh, the listener base and and also the conversation that comes with it. So we just invite you to share it as it as it makes sense. Yeah, we've been hearing from so many of you over the last uh, I don't know a couple of years, and uh, it's so much fun to hear how this podcast is reaching you, how you're connecting with it, uh, the difference it's making in your life. And, and please feel free to drop us a line if uh, if you'd like to connect. Yeah. Well, and f- with that, let's get into today's episode because Dave, I have to know a little bit more <laughs> about this sandwich story because there's some good stuff in there, I think. Thanks for rubbing salt in the wounds. <laughs> I mean, there are things that you do and things that come out of your mouth and you say them and it's like it happens in slow motion. You see the words go out. Reaching and, for them, and, hoping and, they'll come back. And you try and you can't unsay those things <laughs> because it, it, it's not what I it's not what I intended. So so here's the thing though. It's it's a really simple sentence. You're having another sandwich. Mm-hmm. I mean that's like that's <laughs> that's like the those are the kind of sentences that you that you learn about in, you know, kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Like I walk the dog, you're having another sandwich. Yeah, yeah, but it turns out uh, there there was more going on there. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell me more. <laughs> uh, it, in all seriousness, it, it really is interesting. Yeah. Something so simple had such a profound Im- impact on maybe her reaction at the time. Certainly, the way that you two were communicating for <laughs> a little bit after that, right? Or maybe not communicating for or a little maybe while not. after that. Yeah, yeah no, that was uh, that was a rough night. as they come but it you know it the amazing thing about it is you know i said something that was stupid it's not what i meant i literally was just there was a lull in the conversation and being the extrovert that i am sometimes i need to fill dead air (laughs) and i filled dead air with wrong words but the the fascinating part about it is you know we're in it right and we're just uh, we're the relationship is is bigger than a stupid thing that you say, mm-hmm. or or even if I, even if I had meant it intentionally, um, which I have said some stupid things on purpose before too. <laughs> uh, 
the relationship is 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 more important than the uh, moments of, of mm-hmm. being an idiot. Yeah, and and your sandwich story—it's just one example of how how easy it is to be confused or or miss the point or mm-hmm. say something that wasn't intended uh, in a one on one relationship. But let's back this up a little bit. I think we're stuck on another level. I think we're maybe stuck culturally and and as a society, and it feels like the divide that we sit in right now is just a little too wide to know how to work through things together. And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of reasons, but I think maybe one of the reasons might be um, there's just this fast pace of social and cultural change that has added to this division, has added to this complexity, and maybe the ways that we've seen things differently over time. Yeah, you know, like I remember when I was a kid and I used to bike everywhere. The world was as big as I could bike you know, two, I, I was free to explore wherever I, I wanted to go, wherever I could pedal to on two wheels, I could go check that out. And then a funny thing happened. I, I turned 16 and I got my driver's license. And then the blink of an eye, just everything changed. I could get places faster. I could go further, but the trade-off was that I didn't have that extended time with my friends anymore with more places accessible to us. We didn't even have to do the same old thing together anymore. The options of stuff to do and places to go on a bike were so limited in this tiny little town where I came from. The pace of life picked up. And honestly, all these years later, it has never slowed down. And here's the thing. Over the years, we've added technology that has made all phases of life speed up in a similar way. In an historically short amount of time, we've gone from email to cell phones to smartphones to social media. Like my change from the bike to the car, technology has changed the pace of life instantly, and it seems permanently. And what's more, it happened too fast for us to culturally adapt uh, new rules and norms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there certainly is a catching up as as these things have shifted that we really haven't quite figured out what to do with them yet. Um, and maybe that's kind of intensified the ways that we don't see eye to eye or we miss conversations. Um, I mean, you mentioned it, technology, uh, things like social media, uh, the the whole internet is is in our pockets. The whole, the whole internet? The whole internet. Um, you know, I mean, we have instant a- answers to questions that, that any question you could ask. And mm-hmm. that was unheard of like 15 years ago. Um, I, I think a lot about uh, one of the things that I, that I think a lot, quite a bit about is our cities have developed and grown, um, you know, expanded and, and new developments and new businesses and new housing developments. And, and, and they've kind of created new neighborhoods that have all been designated by race, economics, and even political persuasion to some extent. And we don't necessarily bump into people that we would have otherwise. And one of the things that is interesting too, you know, as kids are going off to college, they're necessarily coming back to the towns that they grew up in. So yeah, that shifts everything from family structure to economics to who knows what and and we don't we don't know what to do with any of this it's a complete reshuffling of the deck mm-hmm. and with every technological with every social change we have divides between groups and it changes the way we communicate and who we choose to communicate with we become divided from each other and and we say the broader societal equivalent of something as benign as so you're having another sandwich <laughs> and it can come off as the most <laughs> offensive comment of sheer assery that's ever been uttered. It, can we take a step back? Can we speak in such a way as we can build connections and trust? C- can it get better? 
Or are we just going to dig our heels in and get stuck with what we know? Uh, so when my wife and I were having that argument all those years ago about something stupid, I said, mm-hmm. the relationship trumped all. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for the relationship to trump all when we're not necessarily in relationship mm-hmm. with each other. Yeah. And I, I mean, I do think we, we often dig our heels in uh, to answer that question. We seem to have this impulse that we have to have an enemy. We've got to have somebody that we're against um, that I think is is probably bigger than than politics and probably goes back to the the reason that we evolved certain ways and exist as we are and all that sort of stuff. But uh, but thinking about that need for an enemy, there's actually this podcast that I like to listen to a lot when I'm on road trips. Not ours? I mean, I thought I, well, you were... I, Yes, of course. I love to listen to the Sandbox Cooperative podcast every time <laughs> I'm on. No, just... Uh, <laughs> actually, it's, it's kind of fun because it's this podcast, it's called Lore and it's... Uh, my wife, Noelle, really is not into like scary horror things at all, but it's the one thing that's like kind of close to that that we can listen to together. Um, but the whole premise of this podcast is telling old folklore stories and legends. Um, so it's the stuff of vampires, haunted buildings, creatures in the woods, strange experiences in places, ghosts, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so many of the stories have talked about creatures that live near various groups of people. So kind of like gremlins or like stuff in the woods that's creepy and whatever. Um, and mm-hmm. these creatures, they kind of disrupt the the way of life, especially when something someone's done something wrong, they kind of blame it on this creature. Um, and these creatures become the enemy of the people who live in these places. It's really interesting to me. And the host, Aaron Mankey, he talks about how there's always a little truth to these stories. Um, it's actually just about to become a TV show that's going to be streaming on, oh, on Amazon Prime. Um, and the tagline is, the scariest stories are real, um, which is just kind of interesting. Um, yeah, but but my, It's about my dating life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, episode 52. Uh, no. <laughs> so in a lot of cases, the, the made up creatures from these stories, uh, they become the enemy because each of these groups of people at one time or another has needed someone or something to fight against. They've needed someone or something to take the blame. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, it's kind of made me wonder about a little bit about how we have that same impulse and how that yeah. drives maybe part of our divide currently. It's just an ancient impulse, this this need for a scapegoat. I mean, it goes back to classical literature. Uh, you you put all the blame, you put all the, the sin, you put all the stuff on this animal, you kick it in the butt and then it goes away. And then, and then there you are. And I think... Um, think, you know, I think about back to the, what is it, the late 80s as, as communism fell. We went from talking about culturally talking about these godless communists, right, in the Soviet <laughs> Union and East Germany and all these places to, well, who's our enemy now? And as I remember, around that time, it started, to, we started hearing more and more about these godless liberals. Hmm. And it became, well, there's an enemy and the enemy became us. Because the enemies are, you know, I mean, we we all are on different parts of the political spectrum, mm-hmm. but now we're demonizing ourselves, and it just became, I think, this um, this this trend which has only int- intensified over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, in in some ways, uh, the reason that we're having this conversation and, and this kind of today's topic is is that the Las Vegas shooting uh, mm. sparked a little bit of this because, you know, we know how this goes. Um, I've already seen it all over my Facebook feed. I'm sure yeah. you have too. Um, a bunch of people will double down on, on gun rights and a bunch of other people will, will call for increased gun control. Um, we'll have the same, I guess, conversations, although it's, it's, it's not hard. A conversation. Yeah. It's hard to call them conversations. They're just the same rehearsed talking points over and over again. We've done this before. Um, 
and we'll have and see social media arguments where each side shares reality through their own lens. And at the end of the day, there's going to be zero understanding and we'll all go home and everybody will be upset about the state of things and we'll do nothing. And that's just guns. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's just guns. What about the issues of race and the national anthem protests? What about the neo-Nazis in Charlottesville? What about hurricane relief and the response to Puerto Rico? Sometimes you think, well, there's a slam dunk. Who could, dis- who could possibly disagree <laughs> with this? And then we discover that there actually are people who believe the earth is flat. <laughs> anyway, as with guns and everything else, as you said, Chris, we yell about it on Facebook, and then it gives way to the next thing, the next tragedy. Does anyone remember or talk about Orlando anymore? What about what about Charleston? Yeah, I mean, regardless of the topic, the narrative just keeps repeating itself. We're, we're grief-stricken. It's terrible. And then we're outraged. And then we accuse somebody else. And then we forget about it. And nothing seems to actually get better with regard to these issues. And I think to get to the topic of today, we're just, we're stuck. In, in every way, we are stuck. And, and we just want to wonder together, how do we get unstuck? Yeah, on top of it all, every one of these things, they've been completely politicized. They have caused division, or maybe better put, they are symptomatic of our division. They've become a political rallying cry that attach to our knee-jerk reactions and embed themselves deep within our identity. We have problems. We all have our opinions. We yell, we scream, we carry on, and then we retreat to our echo chambers, and then nothing changes. We are so stuck. Yeah, I think, I think it might be that, that some of the reason that we're so stuck is that we're, we've oversimplified our beliefs and our identities and, and maybe done the same uh, to others when we look at someone else. Um, which actually reminds me, I, I read this book in college. Uh, I did read a book in college, even for a class. They had, um, they had books. I, did, you know. Was there a library at your school? <laughs> there was. I, I was vaguely aware Maybe of that. went to it a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but um, no, I read this book called Bumper Sticker Ethics. And, and it talked about how we, how we often share and think of our beliefs in short, simple bumper sticker form. So just really simple phrases. Um, and like a bumper sticker, or I think maybe today, like a meme usually has a simple phrase for something, um, and it's often some sort of belief. But those simple phrases just don't quite show us how deep and complex an issue can be. I mean, like, the first one that comes to my mind is like, does everybody with a pro-life bumper sticker believe exactly the same thing? And d- does uh, does the person with the bumper sticker of a political candidate agree with everything the candidate stands for? Mm-hmm. I mean, those simple phrases carry a lot of power, but I don't think we we think about it that way. Um, a simple phrase can really serve as like a rallying cry for an organization or a movement. And, and I think that's helpful because people can find their own story um, in, in, the, in that phrase. Uh, but those same phrases, because they're so simple, they can really limit an idea. And they prevent sometimes people from understanding the way that that sentence as it is influences their beliefs or the beliefs of those around them. Kind of shuts down, shuts down yeah. further imagination and thought. Yeah. I mean, so think about like, does everybody who puts a coexist bumper sticker on their car think the exact same thing? I mean, like, and not just, not just about the issue, whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. I, to me, that issue, like coexist is really complex anyway, but, right. um, but assuming that that's the same, like we also have these weird things where like, we also assume that they probably shop at the local co-op and drink really expensive coffee and 
and you probably saw that bumper sticker like on a Prius or something, right? Right, right. And they drink wheatgrass, <laughs> lemonade, and, <laughs> yes. and work at Whole Foods. <laughs> but I actually, I, and the, where it actually, my mind gets blown is when you see the Prius that says, I drive a Prius so that I can buy more ammo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> more ammo for the guns. Which really though, in a, in a good sense, I mean, isn't that... It doesn't that point out the actual complexity of of who we are as people? Yeah, don't um, don't don't put you in a box. Yeah, so maybe part of the way we we can get unstuck is just move past those simple ideologies and identities that fit on a bumper sticker and and actually learn a person's story before we assume some things about them. Yeah, you know, because look, I don't really care what the NRA or any other lobbying group says. I don't care about talking points assigned by the party bosses of, of whatever party that you're affiliated with. I want to know what you, what you actually think. What makes you tick? Don't, don't regurgitate something that some other, somebody else told you to say. And I'll try not to do the same, okay? How can we actually hear each other? I think this could be where we can begin to get unstuck. Yeah, and I think we also have to remember that this is incredibly hard work. Um, it, like just thinking about the way that it took, how long it took us to put this episode together and think about like what we wanted to say and what we didn't want to say. Right. Um, it the, These conversations and, and talking about these things, they're not easy. And, and these conversations are going to be full of arguments. They're going to be full of outbursts. They're going to be full of poorly chosen words. And we probably had a few in this episode already. Probably. And, and I think like we have to acknowledge it's going to hurt some feelings and it's going to strain some relationships. But I also think it's the kind of work that has to be done. Um, we all have ideas about how to solve problems and we might even have some of those right. And there may be some issues that are too timely or too urgent that we can't hold back. But by and large, we have to have a new way forward and we have to be more creative. And it might begin with having conversations where we actually allow the space to understand. There's an old saying that says, you know, if you keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to keep getting what you've been Mm -hmm. getting. And I think as it pertains to the, the fast pace of change and communications and all that's led up to this point, we can't keep going down exactly. the same road. So we need to try something different. So in our, our last episode, episode 50, we talked with a guy named Paul Schroeder. And and Paul talked about his book, Practice Makes Purpose. And I'm telling you, buy this book. Oh, yeah. And I think we should put a link to it in our notes. Yes, we can do that, uh, definitely. For this episode. Buy the book. I've just been fascinated by, by it. And I've actually been doing a, a, well, I'm a slow reader anyways, but I've been doing an, an intentionally slow read with this thing because there's so much to it, so much richness to it. So buy this book and buy lots of them, share them with your friends. It's all good stuff. And it's especially helpful for what I think we're talking about today. Taking on a practice can be a pretty key way of getting unstuck in whatever facet of life mm-hmm. that you find yourself in. Paul talks about six spiritual practices, and he argues that these practices have the potential to transform your community. Now, the first practice he talks about is called compassionate seeing. Yeah, and one of the stories he shares to explain this practice, it's this story about two monks. So the story goes, one of the monks started leaving the sleeping quarters where all the brothers from the order spent their nights. Every night, after everyone seemed to have fallen asleep, he quietly left and went outside. One of the other monks began to notice the trend and became convinced that his brother was having an affair with a woman. One night, the suspicious monk followed after his brother in order to confront him. As he searched through the night, he caught the other monk in the act. He was in the shadows by the woods. So he went over and he started kicking at them, only to discover that it was just a pile of burlap sacks that had made dancing shadows in the moonlight. 
He then heard his brother come up behind him with prayer beads in his hand to ask if he was okay. It turns out the late night hour had become his favorite time to pray. Our friend Paul teaches that how you see determines what you see. Look through a lens of judgments, and that is exactly what you're going to see. We need to see and appreciate the difference between each other, not impose our beliefs, values, and experience on someone else. We also need to be able to put ourselves in the shoes of the other and wonder what life might feel like from their perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I think about all the issues and troubles that we're bombarded with as a society, it's, it's not to say that there aren't real solutions to real problems or that any opinion is the same as truth. You know, we hear a lot about both sides of the argument and being tolerant, but I'll be the first one to say that I don't have any tolerance for speech that is hateful, but that can't be the end of our conversations. Sometimes these conversations are challenging because ideas get paired next to each other as if they're the same. Mm -hmm. And when, when we understand one of those ideas to be true and the other to be a load of crap, we tend to impulsively tell our friend Dave that they're full of it. So wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I resemble that remark. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, you compare these things that aren't in any way equal. So it's something like the natural fact of global warming which every scientist that's reputable in the world says, yes, global warming is a thing. And then, they, and then we pair it next to this idea that global warming is a hoax made up by the Chinese. And that they're supposed to be equally valid. And they're equally valid points. Or that just because Star Trek and Star Wars both have the word star in them, that they are in any way equal. And let's face it, when you can have a Wookiee take you through an asteroid field at light speed... There's nothing equal to that. I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm challenged to decide which of those two is more offensive to me. <laughs> <laughs> Global warming or Star Trek? I, I don't yeah. know. Uh, yeah. There, so there are these, just these false equivalencies. And a false equivalence is a logical fallacy in which two opposing arguments appear to be logically equivalent when in fact they are not. For example, one is a number. Two is a number. Therefore, one equals two. But the trick with false equivalencies is that if we believe that one is the same as two, it takes a lot of work to see that they aren't the same. In some way, it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, number is a number and okay, I can get that. But it's not logical. And it takes a lot of conversation, processing and understanding before someone can separate the two. So we're not saying that if someone believes that we live in a post-racial society, you should take their opinion as truth. But I think what we are saying is that despite those false equivalencies, there are some real things that we can learn from each other. So after the 2016 election, everyone was talking about the Trump voters, asking who they are, why they voted the way they did. I had my views. And frankly, I had pigeonholed them like, a, like the monk who went out to kick some burlap sacks. Now, to be clear, I completely understand that Trump voters are not a monolithic bunch. But now I've come to understand that some of the blue-collar Trump voters from the area where I grew up have become concerned about their jobs going away and the jobs not being replaced. They felt their opportunities for making a decent wage, staying employed, and providing for their families, they felt that was all going away. They felt that their voices and representation was gone. They saw somebody who seemed to offer answers to questions that they were actually asking. So they voted for him. I can appreciate their fears, their basic concerns. Who wouldn't be concerned about making sure that you have access to good works that, that you can rely on? 
Who wouldn't want to be assured that you, that you could care for your family? Who doesn't want a voice speaking on your behalf and advocating for your concerns? It's so, it's basic. And by the same token, what would it be for my old neighbors where I grew up to see compassionately? Women, people of color, people with disabilities, all voice concerns about discrimination in the workplace, inequality under the law, lack of access to basic needs in life. Many didn't vote for the president because they felt he would be harmful and continue to perpetuate a system that relegated them as second-class citizens. And seriously, if there were a candidate for president of the United States who would make you feel like a second-class citizen, who in their right mind would vote for that person? Again, it's basic. And, and what if we were actually able to communicate this to one another without the familiar talking points, without belittling one another? Can we be bold enough to listen and to take note of where we're angry and reactive and, and learn what that means? Can we give people the, the benefit of the doubt long enough to stay in the conversation? In some ways, maybe at the heart of this is the need for community. It could be as basic as saying hi to people as we walk down the street or, like me, protesting selfie sticks and self-checkouts at the grocery store. <laughs> um, if we learn to see people in these ways, to see compassionately, it could be a start and it could begin to make us a little less stuck. And sometimes the answer to the questions we are asking can be found by, by people who have walked this path before. Maybe the full answer isn't there, but may, maybe there are some breadcrumbs leading us in the right direction. Because I think I see some of these breadcrumbs in a speech given by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, not even a year before he died, Dr. King gave a speech entitled, Where Do We Go From Here? So I read this the other day, and I was just amazed at how much it seemed to speak directly to us and our stuckness. I think I yeah. read one of the quotes and we were just kind of shocked by how relevant it, it really was. But, uh, and we'll put a link to that, to that speech in our show notes, but it really felt like it could have been written a couple of days ago uh, rather than 50 years ago. And in the speech, uh, Dr. King was addressing why we have poor people in the richest country on the face of the earth. And as he challenged the economic system and asked really pointed questions, he could anticipate the argument coming from the other side the talking points and the dehumanization that inevitably followed what he was saying. So this is what he said. Don't think you have me in a bind today. I'm not talking about communism. What I'm talking about is far beyond communism. Communism forgets that life is individual. Capitalism forgets that life is social. And the kingdom of brotherhood is found neither in the thesis of communism nor, nor in the antithesis of capitalism, but in a higher synthesis. It is found in a higher synthesis that combines the truths of both. Mm -hmm. This idea that, that capitalism forgets that we're social and communism forgets that we're individual. We have, uh, in this, he's saying, you know, it, it's bigger than just two sides. It's bigger than just kind of pigeonholing. Mm -hmm. It's bigger than um, uh, what, what we would say today would be the echo chambers that, that, that you right. find yourselves in. Right. Yeah, I think uh, the process, I think, is maybe really relevant for um, how we can begin to, to get past some of these divides. You know, and he goes on to talk about having a divine dissatisfaction. And I just love that phrase. Mm. Um, we don't have to be satisfied with the way things are. There can and should be another way. There should be a way that is more just, more fair, one that inspires a more abundant life for all people. But maybe we haven't found that way of living yet. I don't think that means that we should stop trying. 
if innocent people are being gunned down, if innocent protesters are being driven over by cars, if basic human rights are being ignored in our own streets. It could be that there's room for some divine dissatisfaction. It could be that there's a better way. So why wouldn't we try to get unstuck? A friend of mine recently shared a quote from Pastor John Dorhauer. He's the general minister and president of the United Church of Christ. It speaks to stuckness. I also hear it speaking to a divine dissatisfaction and our need to keep our heads and our hearts in it, hearing and seeing and working for a better way forward. He said this, quote, I am fast losing the capacity to mourn all that we must mourn. Charlottesville becomes Houston, becomes Florida, becomes Puerto Rico, becomes Las Vegas. Every lost life is a name, a history, a hope, a story, an unfulfilled future. Every lost life leaves behind loved ones who mourn and grieve and piece together a future of their own, torn asunder by matters that we cannot comprehend. I cannot find words to capture this pain, this collective grief and anger. I cannot reach deep enough into my soul to express fully the pain and the anger and the rage, the confusion, the anxiety, the emptiness. You know, when will it end? And what must I do? Must I do? Must I do to respond with meaning, with purpose, with intent, so that whatever hope we talk about on the other side of this is not vapid or, or in vain? I feel utterly powerless. God help us all. Inspire imagination, inspire hope, inspire healing, inspire resistance, inspire something new and something bold and something grand. This cannot be our ongoing narrative. We have to want something better than this. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. To stay up to date with all the things going on at the Sandbox, follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com. We'd love to hear from you, so let us know what you think about the podcast. And if you'd like, rate and review us on iTunes and join us in the conversation. And as always, be sure to share this podcast with someone who might like it. There's always more room in the Sandbox. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox.